with us and to work with the people of God here at the Midway Congregation. Uh, as we begin our lesson this morning, I want you to think about your speech. I want you to think about something. And, and have you ever gotten up and you feel like the biggest accomplishment that you've had during the day was not saying what you've been thinking out loud? You know, you, you really worked hard that day to hold your tongue. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do a good job with it. <clears throat> Perhaps sometimes we don't do as good a job as we really should do it. It may be like another meme that I saw. If there's one area of me that the devil's got a hold of, it's my tongue. Some people have that problem, don't they? They're able to control a lot of things, but the tongue is one of the things that they have a real problem with. Somebody has said one of the quickest ways to know who a person is is to assess how a person speaks. Now think about that one for a minute. The quickest or one of the quickest ways to know who a person is is to know how a person speaks. I would suggest to you that it's not just the words that you're able to hear with your ear, but the words that flow sometimes from the pen or from the keyboards of people as well. One of the quickest ways to know who a person is is to know how that person speaks. You know, in the book of James, chapter 3, at verse number 2, if you have your Bible, you may want to turn there. We'll be looking at several verses out of the book of James. But in James, chapter 3, at verse number 2, the Bible says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he, English Standard Version, in what he says, he is a perfect man, one who is able to bridle his whole body. I want you to think about that passage for a minute. He's talking about holding the tongue. That's what we started out talking about this morning. He's talking about holding the tongue, but I want you to notice and focus on a word that's found there. He said if a person is able to do that, he is a perfect man. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that he's a sinful man? Does he mean that, that he is like God in that way? Well, the word that's used there literally means to be complete, a full age, or mature. It's used in a number of other places in the New Testament. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, at verse number 20, the Bible says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. There's a word that's used back here in the book of James chapter 3 at verse number 2. Used again in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 at verse number 14. And he talks about solid food and who that belongs to. The writer of the book of Hebrews simply says that solid food is for the mature. And that's again the word that is used by James in the book of James chapter 3 at verse number 2. And so what it is that James is saying is this, the person who learns to and controls his or her tongue is literally a grown-up. He's grown or she's grown to maturity. And then the person on the opposite end of that, the person who either has not learned or chooses not to control his or her own tongue is like a baby. And I would suggest to you this morning that in our world today there are awfully lot of overgrown babies because they have failed to learn or they have failed to exercise control over their tongues. Somebody may say, well, that's just the way I am. I always say what I think. That's just me. That's the way I was made. And 
even beyond that, preacher, the Bible says that no one can tame the tongue. Even that same passage that you're looking at in the book of James chapter 3, it talks about how a person can't tame his or her tongue. Look at verses 7 and 8, if you will, if you have your Bible. The Bible says in chapter 3 of James, verses 7 and 8, "...for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind." Verse 8 says, though, "...but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison." You see, preacher, there it is. The Bible says nobody can tame his or her tongue. Let me just simply point out this morning that James says that no one can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. You know what? I will never be able to control what you say. I'll never be able to control what you say. And you know what? You won't be able to control what I say. And... and, and it's the same way with all of the other people in the world. We can't control what people say, can we? So we can't control the tongue, but James does not teach that one cannot control his or her own tongue. That's not what James is saying here in this passage. You see, folks who are grown-ups, folks who are grown-ups, according to James chapter 3, verse number 2, folks who are grown-ups, they learn and are able to control what they say. And you know, as we think about that, Christians have to grow up, don't we? We may begin as a babe in Christ. We may begin as a small child and grow, but grow is what we must do. And sometimes people choose not to. Sometimes people choose not to grow in their knowledge of the Word of God. They, they probably don't know any more today than they did when they became a Christian. And, and sometimes you hear preachers preach about how we need to study. I'm not preaching about that today. That's not the topic. Sometimes people may know much of God's Word. They may have dedicated many hours to the study of God's Word, and yet they choose or they have failed to control their, tongue, their own tongue. And as a result of that, they have not grown up. To know is one thing, to do is another. And Paul, or rather James says that we are to learn to control our own tongue. You know, as we think about it today, there are some improper uses of the tongue. That goes without saying, doesn't it? There's no need for me to stand up here and give a long lesson on improper uses of the tongue. We all understand and know, and sometimes, even though we may do some of these things, we probably know better. You know, some of the uses, though, we'll, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but some of the uses that we understand that are improper are, for example, lying, right? It's wrong to lie. We teach our children not to lie. Do you realize what the Bible has to say about that? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, the writer of Proverbs writes about it. He says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to Him. And you know what is number two on the list? A lying tongue. A lying tongue. We don't need to be liars. 
Do you know why it is also on that list in verse number 19 that's very closely tied with that? A false witness who breathes out lies. One of the six, yea, seven things that the Lord hates. A lying tongue, number two. One of the other things is a false witness who breathes out lies. You know what? A false witness is one who gives false testimony, makes false accusations. That's been in our news here lately. And you know what? I've seen, I've seen some Christians who have jumped in the fray on, on the matter and they've talked about how, you know, when sometimes people bring, bring accusations to light that they're not believed and so it's suppressed. And I understand some of those things. But folks, what I want us to understand today is that it's not those people who do wrong that need to be let go. If someone molests a child or molests a woman, they need to be punished. And they need to be punished very harshly. But by the same token, one who would bring forth a false accusation deserves the same. And that is according to what God says in His book he doesn't like false accusations any more than he likes any other lies. We could talk about cursing. Exodus chapter 20 at verse 7. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We understand from the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6 at verse number 9. That the Lord's name is to be hallowed. When Jesus was teaching his apostles and his disciples how to pray. He said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed. Holy, holy and set apart is your name. And, and we understand and we know that we shouldn't be saying the name of God, taking it in vain. But sometimes we use what the technical term is, euphemisms. And we shouldn't even be doing that. That's an improper use of the tongue. What about gossiping? We know that. We talk, read about in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, the, the, Jew, the Gentile people of old and how one of their sins was is they were gossips, the Bible says. And in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, at verse 13, one of the things that Paul cautions against is the younger widows and how that they learn to be idlers and also gossips and busybodies. And he said these should not be according to what he says in verse number 13. Slandering, Romans chapter 1 at verse number 30. You know, speaking evil against another person. And so as we look at it, we understand that there are some improper uses of the tongue. But as we think about that this morning, let us, let us understand about four things in regard to the speech, the way that we talk. Things that we need to remember. Here's number one. Our words should always be evaluated. Our words should be evaluated. Words matter, don't they? Words matter. Think about what the wise man wrote in Proverbs 18, verse 21. Listen to that passage carefully. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Think about that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That means words matter, does it not? 
there are probably people in this audience today who are living with the scars of hurtful words spoken by others, right? There are things that people have said that have cut us all the way down to our very soul. It hurts, and it hurts for years, and sometimes even for a lifetime when people speak things to us. That just goes to say, words do matter. Not only do words matter to us, words matter to God, right? In the book of Mark, or rather Matthew chapter 12 at verse 36, Jesus said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Wait a minute. Not just the words that I say when I'm preaching or teaching. Every careless word. Words matter to God. Because we will answer for what we have said here in this life. In Colossians chapter 4, verse number 6, Paul wrote, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, even within that passage, we, we understand words matter, and therefore we need to evaluate and know how to answer other folks. Proverbs chapter 1 at verse number 5, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Whenever we're evaluating our words, we need to listen. Listening is important. Listening to what others say. Listening to how they feel. Listening to others. And the wise person will hear and increase his learning. That, that's the way of saying that as we think about life and how we live and what we do and what we even say, we learn. We learn. We increase in learning. And as a result of that, we obtain guidance. We evaluate and we act accordingly after that. In the book of James, chapter 1, at verse number 19, James said, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to listen. Why? We need to know what's said. We need to know um, the context. We need to know the events. We need to know. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow to speak. Evaluation of our words. You know what? We don't always have to give an answer to everybody, do we? There were times that uh, Jesus didn't give an answer, right? In the book of Matthew chapter 27 at verse 14, but he gave him no answer when when Jesus was standing at his trial and he was asked a question, he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, not to even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. If anybody could have won an argument, it would have been Jesus. Everything that he ever did was perfect. And he would have had a perfect answer on that day. But I want you to understand the perfect answer on that day was to say nothing. 
nothing. You say, preacher, the Bible says that we're always to be prepared to make a defense. 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 15. Folks, sometimes people feel like they have to come in on everything. But Jesus did not feel that way. And if he was perfect, we need to understand that as well. We don't always have to answer when someone makes an accusation. We don't always have to answer when people speak ill toward us. That only instigates more anger in many cases. And yet in our world today, so many feel like they've got to speak every time Somebody else opens their mouth. Our words must be evaluated. Not only do we not have to always give an answer, we don't always have to tell everything we're thinking. We don't always have to say everything that's on our mind. Proverbs 17, verse 27, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Whoever restrains his words. You may look like the smarter person by restraining what you have to say. Proverbs 23, verse number 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Listen to that verse. Do not speak in the hearing of of a fool. There are some people, it makes no difference what you say. They will not listen and they will not learn. We don't always have to tell everything we are thinking. We must evaluate our words. Someone has said that we, before we speak, need to think. Are our words true, T? Are our words helpful, H? Are our words inspirational, I? Are our words necessary, N? Are our words kind, K? T H I N K. We must evaluate. Think before we speak. But then secondly, this morning, our words should be emphatic. Our words should be emphatic. Matthew chapter 5 at verse 37, Jesus said, Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Emphatic. Yes or no. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 6 through 8, the passage says, Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. Did you notice the words and the emphatic nature of those words that were mentioned in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 6 through 8? 
noble, right, truth, righteous. Not half truth, truth. Not half noble, noble. Not half righteous, righteous. You see, speaking emphatically is letting our words be yes or no and nothing more, but they're also to be emphatic in nature in what we say. And and not only that, but in the book of Colossians chapter 4, verse number 6, Paul writes, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Add to the noble, right, truth, righteous. Add to that gracious. And again, emphatic in nature. Not just partly kind. Not just partly gracious. But gracious. Our words should be emphatic in nature. Not only that, our words should be educational as well. Educational. I want you to notice what is said in the book of Acts chapter 8, verse number 4. You've heard this passage a number of times, I'm sure. The Bible, it's, this is the passage that says, Now they that were scattered abroad, you, you remember, you are, am I reminding you of what it, what it says? They that were scattered abroad, the ones who had been run out of Jerusalem, the ones who were being persecuted in Jerusalem because they were Christians, They were the ones who were scattered abroad. Now they that were scattered abroad, they did something. Do you remember what they did? Do you remember? Could you quote the rest of the verse or at least part of it? They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. What do you think about when you think about the Word preaching? Most people probably think about what I'm doing this morning, standing in front of an audience, boring people or whatever. What do you think about when you're thinking about preaching? What do you think these people did? They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel, the word. What do you think they were doing? Oh, I know what they were doing. Everywhere they could find a stump. They'd jump up on that stump. They'd pretend they had a pulpit. And man, they would begin hammering down on a sermon. Right? Or or, or whenever they got to a town, they'd go out to the street corner. They'd get up on the highest, you know, maybe there was a walkway or something. I don't know how it was, but how how people... Remember, used to do some of these things. They'd get up there and they'd stand up. There'd be steps. And man, there'd be somebody who stopped by and they'd just preach to them. You think that's what they did? Do you think that's what God is telling us to do? They went everywhere. You and Gileon. Speaking the good news. They were just telling people about Christ. 
about salvation found in Christ, about how to obtain it. There's different words that describe what I'm doing this morning that are translated preaching in the New Testament, but not this one. And so that tells me then that when I'm speaking, I should speak good things. And in this case, the good things is the good news about Christ. That word. Those good words that we have about salvation. We need to be speaking educational words. Evangelizing, if you will. That's sort of what these folks were doing. That educational speech that we need to have. But you know what? I'm reminded also of what is said in the book of Matthew chapter 28, verse number 20. He talks about those who are baptized, and then he goes on teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You know what? Just because you've some, told someone about Jesus doesn't mean that they know everything that they need to know. And a lot of times when we think about teaching, we think about what we did earlier this morning as we stood in this Bible class. Or some of the other teachers stood in their Bible class. Some of the little teachers, the teachers of the little ones, not the little teachers, but the teachers of the little ones, teaching maybe even with crayons and little songs. We think about teaching being that way. But you know what? Teaching is not always that way. Teaching is sitting across from the kitchen table and discussing what it takes to live the Christian life with a child, with a new convert. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Again, educational speech. Do you remember what the Bible says in the book of Ezra chapter 7 at verse number 10? In Ezra chapter 7 at verse number 10, the Bible says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. If we want our words to be educational, we must be like Ezra. Number one, we must determine that that's what we're going to do. Number two, we must study, like Ezra did, to know. And then number three, we need to speak as Ezra did. And so, again, educational nature of our words. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2, Paul said, In what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to speak words, teach words, teach others also. Our words sometimes must be educational. How much teaching are we doing in our, in our words? Not everything that we say can be Bible verses. That's not what I'm saying. We teach, we teach our children about life. We teach them how to react to situations in life. We teach them numbers. We teach them how to read. We teach them a lot of things. Our words must be educational. Not just foolish words, not just useless words, not just careless words. Educational words. 
Spend some time thinking about what you say and let your words be educational. But number four, our words should be encouraging. Encouraging. Proverbs chapter 12 at verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Will Solomon tell me something I didn't already know? There's never any truer words that Solomon spoke or wrote than those anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But I'm glad he didn't quit right there. Solomon said, but a good word makes him glad. Be an encourager. A good word lifts up the soul of one who is hurting. Proverbs 15, verse 4, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness, it breaks the spirit. That, that, that life-giving force, if you will, coming from words. Proverbs 15, verse 23, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Be an encourager. Proverbs 16, verse 24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. Wow. What it is to be an encourager. To lift up other people. When they're down, when they're out, when they're hurting, when they're sad. Be an encourager. Everybody loves an encourager. But no one wants to be around a discourager, right? Everyone loves an encourager. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, at verse number 29, Paul wrote, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, that passage partly goes back on what we just talked about prior. The building up, the edifying, the educational part. But it also partly fits here. Because the words that are spoken, spoken are good for building up, fitting the occasion, and giving grace to those who hear. And so as it is, we need to be encouragers, right? As we close our lesson this morning, according to a 2007 study by Dr. Matthias Mel, an associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Arizona, he says the average person, before I say that, a lot of times, you know, you hear a statistic that's quoted, but not really backed up by any science or by any studies. Men usually say around 7,000 words a day, women around 20,000 words a day, and sometimes they even get the men 7,000 too, you know. That's not necessarily backed up by any study, but what Dr. Mail did, M-E-H-L, is he actually did a study and said, the average person speaks approximately 16,000 words a day. 
some more, some less, but the average is right at 16,000 words per day. That's a little more than 5.8 million words that the average person speaks per year. Average that over a lifespan of 70 years, and that comes out to almost 409 million words that an average person will speak. Now thinking about that 16,000, that 5.8 million, that 409 million, thinking about those numbers, ask yourself this morning, how are you using your words? How many of those words out of the average of 409 million over a lifetime, how many of those words are we using in a wrong way? Improperly. You know, it's bad to misuse our words, isn't it? Misusing our words can cause us to lose our soul, right? So it's bad to do that. But I want you to also ask yourself this morning, how many of those 409 million words are you using the right way? The right way. Encouraging. Educating. Because we've evaluated and know the importance of the words. We may sometimes ask as, our, as the title of our lesson, did I really say that? Did I say that? Was it good? Was it right? Bad? Folks, I want us to understand it's not necessarily a matter of which of those ways we have used our words, one outweighing or one numbering more than the other. That's not what it's really all about. Just because I say more good things and use my words more for right things than I do for wrong things does not mean that I got it right. It's not a matter of which is the most. But in the book of Luke, chapter 6, at verse number 45, the Bible says the good person, Jesus speaking, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And then watch the last part of this verse. For out of the abundance of the heart, something's going to happen. What is it, Jesus? Out of the abundance of the heart, what is it that's going to happen? Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's not really about the number of good words versus bad words. Did we get more good ones than we did bad ones, or more bad ones than we did good ones? See, it's really all about the heart what our speech is about. 
It's about our heart. And what kind we have. I could stand here this morning and preach on lying and cursing and gossiping and slandering and and man, I could bang on the on the podium here and tell us how bad it's bad. I want us to understand it's bad. I could spend all day telling us that. But unless I reach the heart and change the heart, even though you may speak good words and refrain from speaking bad words, we haven't got, pardon the pun, to the heart of the matter. Did I really say that? I need to be watching what I say. It may be today that you need to make use of your mouth by making the good confession. Because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're willing to repent of the sin that you have in your life, and you want to be baptized, buried with Christ, to have your sins washed away. It may be today that you've done that, but you need to use your mouth to say, I have sinned and I need the forgiveness of God's people and of God Himself. I encourage you to use your words, your mouth, in the right way. And if you need to use it for any of either of these two this morning, why don't you come right now?